Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff Bast from Bast Amron. Hi, I'm Brett Amron from Bast Amron. This is The Practice Podcast. We're very excited today. We have a special guest, as you can see on our screen, Mike Feuerman with Burger Commercial Realty. Mike is a good friend, somebody we've worked with uh, over the years, and we're very happy to have him here to talk about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, which is what's going on in generally real estate market, commercial real estate market, but really focusing in on office space, and in particular, in some instances, relative to law firm office space. So Mike, how are you today? Morning, Brett. Morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about what you do uh, and your specialty. Uh, and then Jeff and I are just going to fire off questions because we have a lot we want to know. Great. So I am a commercial real estate broker. I've been doing this since 1999. Uh, my specialty, my team and I represent office tenants. We do about 10% of our work is with industrial tenants. And we are what's known as tenant rep specialists. So my firm, Burger Commercial Realty, is based in Broward County. I manage Palm Beach County and work all over the Tri-County region for tenants and all over the state and as well as nationally for some tenants. The firm is full service. So we represent landlords, investment properties. We manage about 8 million square feet and we list about 6.5 million square feet for lease or sale. My team and I are only on the tenant side. So we represent business owners who need to find commercial space, office or industrial, where they're going to be running their business and their employees are going to be working. I've been, as I mentioned, since 1999. Prior to this, I was a commercial trial lawyer for six years and a native Floridian, went to college in Philadelphia, University of Pennsylvania and University of Michigan Law School and came back, started my practice and decided one day I didn't want to practice anymore and got into this business and have not looked back. Hey, Mike, I, for one, didn't know what a tenant rep really was until I used one when I was looking for space, actually, when Brett and I were looking for space. Can you tell folks why they want to, you know, I think there's probably a lot of lawyers that have leases that haven't used a tenant rep. What's the benefit of using a tenant rep? What is, and what does it cost the tenant? Sure. So even attorneys who understand leases can benefit from a tenant rep. First, you don't pay your tenant rep. Uh, The landlord pays the tenant rep. And even if you're buying a building, the seller typically pays the buyer's broker. So when I say tenant rep, I mean helping firms to lease or buy space. And when it becomes surplus, helping them sublease or sell it. In those cases, you do pay your broker when they're helping you dispose of space. When you're acquiring space, you generally don't pay, but you get the benefit of somebody who's your fiduciary who is going to help you negotiate. And even though lawyers are great negotiators, lawyers don't know the commercial real estate markets day in, day out, what the trends are, what market rates should be, which landlords are good and bad, what areas of geographic market are better than others, what trends are, where their peers are going and what their peers are doing. All of these things are what commercial brokers do every day and track every day and stay on top of. And it really brings an advantage to you to know the landscape and to have somebody make you an expert. The landlord's going to have a broker and it really levels the playing field. In addition, it sends a message to the landlord that 
I'm professionally represented and I'm not just looking at your building, but they're showing me everything else that's available out there. So sharpen your pencil because I know what market should be. And it's not just rate. There are a lot of other terms that we go through that protect our clients. Yeah. So, all right, let's get to it, right? I mean, everyone, let's talk about market and what's going on because depending on who you talk to and what day it is or week or month it is, people are saying, no one's going back to the office or, okay, yes, they are going back to the office or maybe they're going to be in the office. Like what's going on in the office tenant space right now that you see generally in terms of trends? So great question. At this time, I'll give you some market stats first. I went over both the tri-county region offices, 10,000 square feet and up, multi-tenant existing or under construction. I'm not looking at anything proposed. I'm not looking at small buildings. I'm not looking at single tenant buildings. Looking at the buildings that you or other law firms would consider when relocating or opening a new office. And across the board, there is, it's shifting from a landlord's market to a tenant's market. For many years after the recession, it was moving slowly back to a landlord's market. We were firmly there by 2017, 2018. Tenants were not getting the same concessions they used to get. Rental rates were going higher. It was just the landlords had a favorable market. Now it's shifting back and quickly. The recession and the pandemic are causing vacancy rates to go up. There's more sublease space on the market. There's negative absorption almost across the board, which means there's more space coming onto the market than is being leased up. With that said, it's shifting to a tenant's market and it can get more favorable deals. Unfortunately, Many tenants aren't in a position to take advantage of that. The way to take advantage of that is to lock in a long-term lease. With the uncertainty, with the pandemic, people don't want to lock in long-term leases. In general, firms don't know how many employees are going to be working in the office, how many are going to be working out of the office, how, how many are going to be doing flex where they do a couple of days at home, a couple of days in the office. So it's very hard to predict long-term needs for tenants. Those that can, those in the industrial space, those who are not affected or actually helped by the current conditions are able to lock in long-term leases and secure some very good terms. For the rest of the tenants in the market, many are renewing in place. Many are taking just a one to two to three year term to kick the can down the road and see where we are. So we're seeing some pretty important shifts in the market. Short-term leases, uncertainty about, the, uncertainty about the future, and landlords coming around and playing ball with tenants a little nicer than they were for the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, we're an insolvency firm, so we're, I think, particularly sensitive to the impacts of insolvency. There's a lot of uh, you know, retail failures, and we're, we're just seeing a lot of tenants struggling. And so we know that that impacts lessors and landlords as well. Are you seeing anything specific for law firms? I know, you know, obviously you've done work for us, for our firm, but, and I think you represent other law firms in town. What are you, what are you seeing from law firms? You know, law firms, the sector has been very strong over the years, as you know, they're a good part of the personal services, professional services sector any given downtown region or central business district and continually growing. At this point, law firms have put the brakes on growth in general. 
So whereas probably half of law firms, according to some surveys, at the beginning of the year were considering growth, now only about a quarter. Most are just trying to hold in place. They want to preserve capital because of the recession. They want to preserve cash. Some see a downturn in tenant demand. And some are shrinking and cutting costs by laying off employees, reducing square footage, moving staff that are not essential on a daily basis to a back office building somewhere. So if you take class A office space downtown, you might move your accounts receivable, accounts payable, and IT department to out of that office and into a suburban office to save on cost. There are a lot of cost-cutting measures. But in general, you're seeing most firms, probably about two-thirds, just hold and wait like other tenants for this pandemic to pass, hopefully, so they can determine what they're going to be doing in the future. Law firms are realizing, although they resisted in the past, that attorneys and paralegals can work effectively in a silo at home. And I think that that will be part of the future. Some people have gotten used to it and some firms have understood that it's okay to do and they can save costs by having those attorneys come in and share an office, not have a full-time office, but share an office in the future with one or two other lawyers who are doing the same thing. So it's called hoteling, where you come in and you say, I'll have the office Monday, Tuesday. You'll have it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And these are some of the shifts that we're seeing in the law firm space. But it's an ongoing determination. You know, nobody really knows what's going to happen in a year or two. So a lot, just like with other tenants, these are short-term wait-and-see decisions. So, yeah, I want to touch on layout and and what law firms in particular, obviously near and dear to our heart, but offices in general can do to combat that, right? Because what may be sort of needed now and relevant now may not necessarily be the case in a year, two years, three years down the road. And so if a law firm has five years left on their lease, they need to make some modifications to their space or they're going to maybe go into a new lease what recommendations do you have in terms of what that space looks like? What helps them sort of deal with the, the ever-changing landscape of what office space may look like from today versus one, two, three years down the road? Well, first you have to look, there are two areas of a building that you have to look at in terms of does it work for me and, and how can this be fixed for this temporary, hopefully temporary pandemic situation versus what it's going to be like in a year or two. First is the common areas. You have to look to your landlord to make sure the building is safe, that there's one-way path of travel through the building. One stairwell is to go up, one is to go down, that somebody's monitoring who comes in, checking their temperature, that somebody's watching to make sure nobody crowds the elevator. Because what you don't want is to come back to your office and have a pandemic just pass through the building, right? You want it to be safe. Up until the point where you get to your suite, You have to depend on your landlord to make sure that things are good. These can be temporary changes that they make, and some of them are going to be permanent. They're going to be upgrading their HVAC systems with a treatment for virus, whether it's UV light or some high-level filter that keeps viruses out of the HVAC system, because you're sharing air with other tenants in the building. So you want to make sure that it's safe for your employees to come back. Then you can do similar things inside your suite to make sure that it's safe. That'll get you back in the office. What do you do about going forward? I think that's what you're asking. If you can redesign your space so that it's flexible, 
if you're in a position where you're renewing a lease or you can go to your landlord and negotiate a tenant improvement allowance to reconfigure, you want it to be as flexible as possible. You want to be able to, there are, instead of drywall, you can put in systems furniture or dirt systems, which are movable walls. So you can create a larger space that later can be made a smaller space. Maybe your conference room that normally seats 12, you're only going to put four people in. So you can move some seats out. You can block off every other desk, workstation situation. There are lots of things you can do to make it more flexible inside and safer and kind of roll with the times. To the point you made a minute ago about the what the lessors are doing, are you finding across the board that they are taking those measures to ensure safety and taking it seriously about common areas and policing elevators and things like that? It's on a case-by-case basis, Jeff. So some landlords are. Some landlords, the larger the ownership group, the more capital they have to do this, right? So right. some are actually hiring physicians to be their pandemic czar, if you will, and oversee what should be done to make buildings safer and make sure that it's implemented. Yes, a lot of them are. In some buildings, you walk in in a class B or C building, there is no guard in the lobby. There is nobody making sure that the elevators aren't crowded. In the class A office towers in the central business districts, you have a better chance of having that happen. Yeah. I mean, I would think that this is kind of sort of emblematic of what's happening with businesses in general. The mom and pops are not able to sustain this long, drawn-out office closure. But even mom and pop lessors, smaller business owners that are lessors, don't have the capital to invest. It means it's costly. And they have the problem of tenants defaulting. I'm sure there are a lot of commercial tenants that are in default. I mean, I know that for sure (laughs) because we represent a lot of them. Unfortunately, yes. There are more so in retail, less in office. Right. Is that impacting office at all? I mean, how is retail, how is the the problems in retail going to impact office at all? So when you just scratch, you would think it won't because they're separate classes of building, but you also have mixed use properties where you have office and retail. You have landlords that own both. To the extent that your landlord is losing income because they own half of their portfolio as retail and half as office, it's going to affect the capital they have to run your building. There are also, for example, I have a client that is in the retail space. They have several retail stores, but they also have a corporate office and a warehouse. So their income is down and it's affecting them across the board. So it does leak over. There are some effects that the retail carnage is going to have on the office market and on the industrial market too. What do you think, Mike, about the trend, at least down here in, in Miami or South Florida, I should say, of people you know, leaving the urban core and just moving out of the cities and moving their offices out, out of the cities? Do you, do you see that as a long-term thing or, or is that just sort of short-term people are just, let me leave the city for now and then, and then we'll, it'll end up trending back? You know, so I talked about path of travel in a building, and path of travel is horizontal and vertical. Vertical includes the stairwells and the elevators. When you go to a building like yours that's 20-some-odd stories, and the employees have to come in and work, if they have to come in a half hour earlier to get into the office because they have to line up for an elevator, 
that's going to rub some tenants the wrong way. You know, their employees have to add and going down too. It's the same thing. It's going to add an hour onto their day. So there is some flight to the suburbs, to the two, three story office buildings, a suburban garden style office so that you can avoid all of that. In addition, you don't want to be with a lot of other tenants rubbing shoulders in the lobby, but that's a temporary thing. And it's more prevalent in the Northeast where in addition to the vertical travel within a building, you have your commute in every day and people who need to take a train or a bus, some other mass transit. That's where you're really going to see people saying, I don't want to be in the city. You're also going to see, you know, you asked earlier, what advice do I have for law firms? In addition to kind of taking a short-term renewal or a short-term lease to kick the can down the road and see where things are in a year, a lot of firms are going to a hub and spoke model. So you have an office in the CBD downtown in an office building on the 30th floor, but you reduce your footprint to half of what you had or a quarter. And then you take offices out in different suburban regions where your employee groups can work because they don't want to commute. They've gotten used to being near home. So you might see some of that. I don't think you're going to see tremendous flight from downtown regions, especially not down in South Florida. You know, you talked about obviously a tenant market, it's flipping more to a tenant market. Where can, obviously not talking specifics, but where can tenants sort of pick up some benefits when looking at when it becomes a tenant market? Where do they see the benefits? I mean, I, you know, do you see a plummet in price per square foot? Like if a building is asking $40 a square foot, is it all of a sudden now going to drop down to 20? Where can tenants pick up some benefits in a tenant market? Yeah, so it's funny. We're seeing vacancy rates go up. We're seeing, I'm just looking at my market stats. We're seeing the amount of sublease space on the market come pouring in. I, I've been asked to represent tenants on multiple subleases just in the last couple of months. And you're seeing, as I mentioned, the absorption rate go well into the red. But you're not seeing rental rates really come down. And that's because people are taking short-term deals. And in general, when you take a short-term deal, it's at a premium rent. So landlords generally don't negotiate the rent for shorter deals. If you're a tenant that's going to take a long-term deal, you can get lower rent and you can get a lot of other important concessions. So it's an excellent question. Most people say, what's my rental rate going to be? And maybe they say, how much of a tenant improvement allowance am I going to get? It doesn't end there. There's so many things in the lease that you have to look at. And in a good, strong, tenant-friendly market, those are the things that you go and negotiate. So your renewal rights. Are your renewal rights going to be at then fair market rent, which is anybody's guess? Or are you going to tie it to the lower of fair market or your rate plus 3%? That we used to get routinely during the prior recession. We don't get that so much anymore. Starting to get it again. Who's going to be responsible for replacing the HVAC system in, say, a single tenant building? That's especially important for retail and industrial landlords. Not so much in a multi-tenant office building. Are you going to have expansion rights? Are you going to have a termination right? If things don't go well over the next few years, do you have the right to get out of this? There are so many different things in a lease that can really affect you down the line that you don't think about, that you can really explore 
negotiate and get favorable terms on. I'll, I'll give you one example. I represented a tenant five, six years ago. I expanded them from about 10,000 square feet of flex space, which is office and industrial, and moved them into about 21,000 square feet and then expanded them into about 25,000 square feet not long after that. My client and I spoke probably about six, eight months ago. He said, I almost called you. I said, well, why didn't you? You can call me anytime. He said, because the landlord came to me and said, you need to replace one of your 17 HVAC units. And my client said, I don't think I do. And they said, everyone does. It's a tenant's responsibility. So my broker negotiated something different. Let's look at the lease. And they looked and I negotiated a clause where if they have to replace an HVAC unit, they only have to pay for their pro rata share. So if it's got a 10-year life and they have three years left, they only pay for 30%. And he said, you saved me probably $16,000. He said, and I have 17 units. <laughs> so these are things that you don't think about, but I know from experience are important. Areas where you can really attack a lease and make it in your favor as a tenant in a tenant-friendly market. That's a good save there. Nice work. So what, Mike, what, let me ask you, I got a call a few months ago from a lawyer friend of mine who was asking if we had any open space. He said, oh, my lease is up and I was looking to see if I can sublet space. I said, no, I'm sorry. We're full. Actually, we're, you know, you know, we're, we're, we don't really have an extra space, but when is your lease up? And he's like, in 60 days. And I was like, oh, crap. That seems a little late. What's the right time for, let's use a law firm just because we're lawyers, for a law firm to start looking when they're up for renewal or, you know, is, is 60 days too late? I, for me, I, saw, I almost had a heart attack when he said that. I thought it was a little too late. but That's too late. If he's looking to do a space sharing arrangement, you know, he has three or four lawyers and a couple of staff, he can find something. And he can yeah, it's a small firm. So, yeah. Right. But in general... For firms, the rule of thumb I use to get from lease signing, when you and the landlord have fully executed, to occupancy, pre-pandemic was six months, minimum six months. That's the time it takes to do construction drawings, because you already have a space plan, you should, to take that space plan, make full construction drawings, pull permits, do the construction, get your certificate of occupancy, business tax receipt. That's a six-month window, okay? Some municipalities a little quicker, some a little slower. You may hire a permit expediter and shave some time off, but that's a good rule of thumb. To get to the point where you sign the lease can take six months. You can do it as fast as a month if you're really honed in and know what you're doing. But allow yourself a year. Six to look and negotiate, six to get in. If you find a space that doesn't need permit work, just need some carpet and paint, then you need six, seven months. But really, you should start looking a year ahead of time. You can look two years out. And what you look to do then is to renegotiate with your landlord, do what we call a blended extension transaction, where you say, I want to change these terms in the lease, and I'll give you another five, six years. Let's get it done now. If we wait, I'm going to go out to the market. You'll have less of a chance of keeping me. So should every law firm be looking at their lease right now? And given this new climate of uncertainty and that you said it's sort of tenant-friendly? It never hurts unless you just signed a 10-year deal. If you have probably five or six years or less, you should be looking at your lease with your broker to determine what you can renegotiate now, what you can offer landlords in exchange 
and get some better terms for yourself. There may have been something in your lease that you just did not like back when you signed it. Now's the chance to correct it. And if you have three or four or five years and you're willing to extend another three or four or five and give your landlord a nine or 10 year lease, they'll probably jump at it. Because as I mentioned earlier, a lot of tenants are doing short-term leases now. Landlords don't like that. Lenders don't like that. And it sort of devalues the building. Because when you borrow against a building as a landlord or when you sell a building, the value in part is determined by how full you are, what the dollar amount is on your leases, but also the length of the lease. The average length of the lease is very important to a buyer or a lender. A lender, if you, if you have an average of three years on the leases in a building and you're a landlord trying to refinance, you're probably going to get a three-year loan because there's no guarantee that you're going to have money coming in to pay the mortgage after that. Lenders don't like it. So if you can offer your landlord a very long-term lease, I think you have a lot to trade. So it seems like, Mike, you know, obviously there's so much uncertainty in this area, but you can, with knowledge, with information, and somebody like yourself, maybe you can sort of chart your path with some level of certainty within sort of all that chaos that's around. So I know we always uh, look to you for that amazing advice. Thanks. We really lean on Appreciate you for that, uh, even though we are lawyers, like you said, but when it comes to tenant rep and, and dealing with leases and stuff, we obviously lean on you and your experience and, and knowledge. So we, we appreciate that. And it runs both ways. I tell my clients, even on a lawyer, hire a currently practicing transactional real estate lawyer to look at your lease because I was a commercial litigator. I never drafted leases. And when I have insolvency questions, I always call on you and Jeff and uh, try to get you referrals over when I can because you know you're experts at what you do I value your advice and we all need to turn to experts in the respective field at times to help yeah good advice Mike we will uh we're gonna put your contact information in the show notes and those yep. for the podcast but any uh, any parting thoughts that you want to share give it some time I think that this will clear up I think when we have a vaccine and a therapeutic drug or two and people are feeling better about going to the office, I think that we'll be back somewhat to normal. It'll take a little while to get there. Don't panic. Don't make long-term decisions right now. Think it through and get some good advice. Mike, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for joining the Practice Podcast. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Jeff. Bye, everybody. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Fast Amron.